Turn to 1 Chronicles chapter 29. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. And let's look at a little breakdown of the kingdom of God as it's described in the Bible. 1 Chronicles chapter 29. We want to deal with what we call the universal kingdom. This kingdom is God's rule over all things. After all, He's the creator. He's the sustainer. He's the preserver. He rules over all. So we call this the universal kingdom. 1 Chronicles chapter 29, verses 11 and 12. David is speaking. Thine, O Lord, is the greatness and the power and the glory and the victory and the majesty. For all that is in the heaven and in the earth is thine. Thine is the kingdom, O Lord, and thou art exalted as head above all. Both riches and honor come of thee, and thou reignest over all. And in thine hand is power and might, and in thine hand it is to make great and to give strength unto all. Amen. Amen. Did David know how to worship the Lord? David knew how to worship the Lord. That's why he wrote the majority of our Psalms. And if you, if you want a blessing, you go home and read this blessing of David upon Solomon and upon the temple that he had gathered the materials for because it will bless your heart. But here we have a kingdom mentioned that is described as God's reign, rule, power, and strength over all things. He's created all things and so they are part of his kingdom because he reigns as king over all. We read in Daniel chapter 4 that when Nebuchadnezzar went to seven-year graduate school in theology. He came out of it, and when he graduated, he lifted his eyes to heaven, and he said, Now I honor and extol and bless the King of heaven, who doeth according to his will in the army of heaven and among the inhabitants of the earth, and none can stay his hand or say unto him, What doest thou? This is called the universal kingdom, and I have no further time to take you through the Old Testament and show you that God reigns over all. I want to leave you with this thought as we go to the next kingdom. This kingdom was given to the man Christ Jesus when He rose up to sit at God's right hand. A man controls all these things now. The Lord Jesus Christ. When Psalm 8 says, What is man that thou art mindful of him? Thou hast created him a little lower than the angels. Thou hast exalted him with glory and honor. Thou hast put all things under his feet. Psalm 8. When it says that, it is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ when He was crowned in heaven, according to Hebrews chapter 2. Because in Hebrews chapter 2, the Apostle Paul quotes Psalm 8, and he says, but we don't see all things under the feet of any man. But we see Jesus, who was made a little lower than the angels, crowned with glory and honor. It's the Lord Jesus Christ that's the fulfillment of Psalm 8. The Lord Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of just about everything in the Bible. Search the Scriptures, for in them ye think ye have eternal life, and they are they which testify of Me. It's the King that we want to worship. Jesus Christ was given the kingdom of all when He ascended to God's right hand and sat down on the throne of David. David's little domain was this big. The Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of David, reigns over all. All creatures. All angels, all principalities, powers, might, throne, dominions, and names that are named in this world and in the world to come. Those those are Bible words. Jesus Christ reigns over them all. The man Christ Jesus. That is how high God is able to promote a man, and He promoted His Son to be ruler over all. That's the universal kingdom. Let's look at 2 Chronicles chapter 9 and remind ourselves that there was a kingdom of Israel, a national kingdom. Second Chronicles chapter 9. The universal kingdom began when God created. Before that, there wasn't anything formed to rule. And it will extend all the way through eternity. That's the universal kingdom. Except Jesus Christ now rules over that kingdom. When the Bible tells us in 1 Corinthians 15 that all things are put under His feet, there's only one exception. What is that exception? God Himself who put all things under His feet. And then the Lord Jesus Christ in His human nature and eternity 
will be subject to God as He is now, but He rules over every other single creature that God has ever made to the glory of God His Father and to our profit and our benefit. Do you understand that? You are, a, you are an integral part of God's great drama that is being played on the stage of the universe. Hold your left hand at Second Chronicles, but look at Ephesians chapter 1. I need to remind you why Jesus Christ is at the right hand of God. For what purpose is He there? What, for what purpose has He been given authority over all creatures? Ephesians chapter 1 Speaking of the exceeding greatness of the power of God, it says in verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenly places. Far above all principality. Do you know how high Satan and how close Satan gets to Jesus Christ now? He's far above him. Far. This principality is not the principality of Greenville County. This principality are devilish principalities of the spiritual realm of fallen angels. He is far above all principality, good angels, bad angels, and power, and might, and dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this world, but also in that which is to come, and hath put all things under His feet, and gave Him to be the head over all things, to the church, which is His body, the fullness of Him that filleth all in all. He has been given that incredible, unlimited power over all the universe for the benefit of the church, which is His body. And without us, He is incomplete, and we will stand with Him and rule with Him over the universe. Right. It's for our benefit. What in the world can you fear if you understand the kingship of the Lord Jesus Christ? What are you going to fear? You're going to fear an animal? You're going to fear a man? You're going to fear a demon? Whatever you want to call a demon? You're going to fear the devil? You're going to fear death? Jesus Christ is far above all of that. For the benefit of the church, which is His body. Back to 2 Chronicles chapter 9. That was the universal kingdom that Jesus now reigns over. In the flesh. In the flesh. He is in His body in heaven. His body was not left on earth. His body did not disappear in the atmosphere. His body is in heaven. It went straight into heaven and it's still there. And we shall see Him. And Job said, I'll behold Him with mine eyes, even though after my skin worms destroy this body, I'll see Him. And we will see Him. The Israelite kingdom. Second Chronicles chapter 9 and verse 8. This is the Queen of Sheba blessing Solomon. Blessed be the Lord thy God, which delighted in thee to set thee on His throne to be king for the Lord thy God. Because thy God loved Israel to establish them forever, therefore made he thee king over them to do judgment and justice. And this is the kingdom of Israel. We can say that it began at Mount Sinai when God came down and made a covenant with His people Israel. And it ends with John the Baptist. When John the Baptist preached, the Bible tells us in Luke sixteen sixteen, the law and the prophets were until John. Since that time... The kingdom of God is preached, and every man presseth into it. So we had a kingdom of Israel. And you know the ebbs and flows of that kingdom because it's described in the Old Testament. It was great in certain ways under Moses. It was terrible in certain ways under Moses. It was great in certain ways under David, and it was terrible. Back and forth it went. It had terrible kings. It had good kings. Its best king, David, you know him. He was a sinner. He sinned. It cost many lives. So it was an imperfect rule, imperfect kings, and an imperfect kingdom. But that is the group of people that God dealt with here on this earth. They were the ones that had His worship. They were the ones that He gave His terms of peace to. He gave them His law. He gave them His statutes. It made them superior to every other nation on earth because of this law. But it was not enough. There wasn't salvation in their worship. They didn't have a perfect king. It was temporal. A good king would come along and he would die. And then a bad king would arise, even if he might be the good king's son. Some of the stories are terrible as we read the Old Testament. But we've just had read to us that we have a king immortal who only hath immortality. 
The Lord Jesus Christ never dies. You do not have to wonder what king will take over when this one dies. The Lord Jesus Christ is king forever. This is the kingdom of Israel. Citizenship in this kingdom was by your physical birth to parents who were Hebrews. Or if you were a blessed Gentile to be circumcised and to join the congregation as a stranger. This kingdom was taken away from those Jews and given to the Gentiles and some of the Jews in the church. And so let's move to a third aspect of the kingdom, and we're going to call this the gospel kingdom. Let's come to Matthew chapter 3 and see John the Baptist announcing it. Matthew chapter 3. There was a kingdom that appeared on earth, although it appeared only to the eyes of of faith. Because his kingdom didn't come with observation. Jesus Christ did not ride into Jerusalem on a white horse with armies following him where everybody could recognize that he was king. Oh, but no king ever had the power or the authority that that king had. I've already mentioned this, but the Lord Jesus Christ could command the winds and the waves, and they would obey him. The Lord Jesus Christ could command the devils, and they would come out immediately of a man. Even if there was a legion of them, they would come out of a man. He could raise the dead. He could heal all manner of sickness and disease. There was power, and it is described as the power to heal was present. Because it was the power of God that manifested a new king. I want to just, we're, we, uh, it doesn't matter where you turn, the Gospels all start the same way with the ministry of John the Baptist. But Matthew chapter 3 and verse 1, it says, In those days came John the Baptist, preaching in the wilderness of Judea, and saying, Repent ye, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Now, they'd already had the Israelite kingdom. John was a member of the Israelite kingdom. Zacharias and Elizabeth, his parents, were members of the Israelite kingdom. But John's announcing a new kingdom. Because God was through dealing with them as a nation. He was now going to establish His church, and it is called a kingdom, where the reign of the Lord Jesus Christ over the hearts and souls of men, we submit to Him voluntarily in making Him our King and choosing to follow Him. I do not want to spend a whole lot of time dividing up the kingdom of heaven. But there is a spiritual aspect and an outward aspect. There's an internal aspect and an external aspect. The internal aspect is we're born again with the power of Jesus Christ, who speaks life into our souls, and that makes us citizens of His kingdom. Because anybody can join a church, but that doesn't make them real members of His kingdom. It appears that they're members of His kingdom, but the Bible says many are called, but few are chosen. So there's there's two aspects here, and I want to state that in case you think I'm mixing the two together. I'm not really. I'm just trying to save time. But this kingdom that John announced was the arrival of the Son of David that had been prophesied for 4,000 years. All the way through the Bible, the seed of the woman, Shiloh of Judah was now here. And he was establishing his kingdom on earth. And to be part of it, you repented and were baptized to join that kingdom outwardly. Inwardly, you were made part of that kingdom by Jesus Christ, regenerating your heart and spirit. And you began living and reigning with Christ when he did that because you were in him positionally. You were in him legally and you were in him vitally. We just need to keep track of both. Because being a member of a church does not make you a member of the kingdom of Jesus Christ. It may appear that way, but it may not be in truth. Look at Luke 16.16. I have already read this, but I want you to see it because it is such an important verse to us. The kingdom of Israel extended to 30 A.D. when John the Baptist began preaching. Or 26 A.D. And there was a 40-year transitional period in there called, in the Bible, the time of Reformation. That's when the worship of God was reformed. And when God was done with the 40-year time of reforming it through preaching, He just abolished everything and blew it away with the Roman army so there was nothing left. But for 40 years, the Israelite kingdom and the New Testament church ran side by side. Now anybody with eyes to see knew that the old kingdom was gone. Jesus had ripped and torn the veil in half. The animal sacrifices have been done away with the anatype, Jesus Christ having already died for our sins. They should have seen that difference. Jesus had already said about their temple, 
Behold, your house is left unto you desolate. But for 40 years they ran side by side, and then God just obliterated the old kingdom of Israel as far as a national group of people with a biological descent from Abraham. And it became Jews and Gentiles in the church called the kingdom of God. This is what John was announcing. This is what the apostles preached. This is what Paul preached. If you believe the gospel, the message that we have a king. God has sent his son David. David has not just come for the Jews. He's come for the Jews and Gentiles. You heard that message. You believed it. You were baptized. And you became part of that kingdom because you were following the Lord Jesus Christ whose rules are right here in the preaching of the apostles. Luke 16 and verse 16. The law and the prophets were until John. That's the Israelite kingdom. That's the Old Testament. Since that time, the kingdom of God is preached and every man presseth into it. There were men from all over Judea pressing into the kingdom of God in the days of John the Baptist. Most of you have been saved the nightmare of hearing another form of religion preached by Schofield and others that the kingdom of Jesus Christ hasn't occurred even yet. It's coming in the future. It's called the millennial kingdom. Jesus is going to come back to earth in his second coming. Then there's going to be a seven year tribulation. Then he'll come back the third time. Then there'll be a millennium on earth for 1,000 years in Israel where they'll rebuild the temple and have animal sacrifices. That's called the kingdom of God. That's called the kingdom of heaven. That Jesus Christ offered that kingdom to the Jews on His first arrival, but they refused it. And so in a reactionary move, He put the church into place for 2,000 years. That's what Schofield and Bob Jones University believes. The church is an afterthought. The church is just an interruption for God's dealings with the people of Israel. True, physical, biological Jews. But that is not what the New Testament teaches us. The New Testament teaches us that the church is made up of Jews and Gentiles. There is no longer a biological people separate in the plan of God. We're made one in Christ. And it's called the kingdom of God. There's a spiritual element to it when we're born again. We are translated by the power of Jesus Christ from the claims of the devil upon us vitally. I mean a soul that is given over to the devil is, is given new life and we are translated into the kingdom of God's dear Son. Colossians chapter 1. That's an internal operation. But then we hear the truth, we believe it. We submit to the King and we're baptized in His name. Look at uh, Luke chapter 7. Luke chapter 7. Baptism is a wonderful event. I was talking to a couple brothers during the, uh, the lunch break. Sometimes I wish I could get baptized at least once a year. I'd like to do it again. But I know what the Bible tells me. Because do you know what it is? When this man and that man and every other man in here joined the service, they took an oath. They took an oath, and that was their induction. That is when they became true soldiers and warriors for the United States of America. When do we become true soldiers of the Lord Jesus Christ and true citizens of His kingdom? When we are baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, in the name of the God, the Father, the, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, and we are buried in water just as our Lord was buried, and we are raised again out of that water like He was resurrected, and we are saying, I will rise out of this water to walk in newness of life in obedience to the Lord Jesus Christ my King. That is when we become citizens of the kingdom of heaven. Look at Luke chapter 7 and verse 29. Luke seven twenty-nine, and all the people that heard him, that's John the Baptist and the publicans, justified God being baptized with the baptism of John. But the Pharisees and lawyers rejected the counsel of God against themselves, being not baptized of him. Notice the difference was whether you were baptized or not. And the difference here is what John was preaching. And what was he preaching? Behold, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Entrance into the kingdom of heaven from this outward standpoint was to hear the message that there is a king in heaven, that you believe he's the son of God, and that you are going to obey him for the rest of your life. That he's your only hope of salvation, and his rules are going to govern your life. And you're going to rise to walk in a new life. And so they were baptized. And look who was baptized. Publicans. 
justified God being baptized with the baptism of John, but the Pharisees and lawyers, the religious leaders, rejected that counsel of God against themselves and were not baptized. Matthew chapter 21. Matthew chapter 21. You be thankful if you, if you believe the Lord Jesus Christ this afternoon. The Bible tells me that a man can say that Jesus is Lord only by the Spirit of God. First right. Corinthians chapter 12 and verse 3. Matthew 21 and 31. Whether of them twain. These are the two sons. Let me get verse 28 so that you don't think I'm violating the context. Verse 28, but what think ye? Jesus speaking. A certain man had two sons. And he came to the first and said, Son, go work today in my vineyard. He answered and said, I will not. But afterward he repented and went. And he came to the second and said, Likewise. And he answered and said, I go, sir. And went not. Whether of them twain did the will of his father? They say unto him, the first. Jesus saith unto them, Verily I say unto you, that the publicans and the harlots go into the kingdom of God before you. For John came unto you in the way of righteousness, and ye believed him not. But the publicans and the harlots believed him, and ye, when ye had seen it, repented not afterward that ye might believe him. What a condemnation. What did the publicans and the harlots do? They heard the message of John the Baptist. They repented for their sins. And they were baptized. Baptism is a wonderful, wonderful ordinance. You get to show in a picture just what your king did for you in dying, being buried, and being raised again from the dead. And you get to say in the name of Jesus, because you are baptized in the name of Jesus Christ and the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost that you are going to rise to live a life in service to Him. That is how you enter the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God that was preached by John the Baptist and the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ. The publicans and the harlots went in. The scribes and the Pharisees would not. And what's the difference? They wouldn't be baptized. There's so much that can be said on this subject. Look at Luke chapter 11. Luke chapter 11. The kingdom of Jesus Christ. This, it's called the mysteries of the kingdom of heaven. Because the natural man doesn't know anything about it. Do you know that it's not even talked about in history books? The greatest event in history is the kingdom of heaven. And it's not talked about in history books. You know, they just blow right over this period of time. They may have a little bit to do with a so-called Jesus of Nazareth. But listen, there was, a, there was a great change in a kingdom, and there was a new ruler put over the whole universe, and he was born in Bethlehem of Judea. You would think they'd spend the whole course on this subject. Right. But instead it's ignored by men because it's a mystery, and it is not a mystery to us because God has revealed it to us by His Spirit, and He has taught it to us by the apostles, and we have a written terms of it right here in our Bibles. It's not a mystery to us. It's an absolute fact. Amen. We're fully persuaded of it. We know it happened. We know what it is. We know that it involves us. We know where it leads. Because the Bible tells us it's a mystery to them. It's not a mystery to the spiritual man. He discerneth all things. He understands. He knows. But the natural man considers everything that I'm telling you to be foolish. But Jesus Christ is seated on the throne of heaven over all creation. And we swear our allegiance to Him and we are baptized and take His name upon us. And then after that, we join together with others of like precious faith in congregations of the saints. And we worship Him until He comes. Luke chapter 11. Jesus Christ is casting out devils. And they accuse Him of casting out devils by the power of the devil. And in verse 20, Jesus said, But if I, with the finger of God, cast out devils, no doubt the kingdom of God has come upon you. No doubt the kingdom of God was there. They are still teaching in this city that the kingdom of God is yet to come. They do not believe that David is, that Jesus is sitting on the throne of David. That does not occur until the millennium. They are out of their minds. They are heretics. They're blasphemers. 
The Lord Jesus Christ is on His throne. He was seated on His throne one second after He left the disciples in Acts chapter 1. No doubt. No doubt the kingdom of God is coming to you because there was a man, there was a man ordering devils around and they never gainsayed Him. They never resisted Him. No doubt the kingdom of God has come. And listen, we can't overlook the next two verses, though they're not directly related to the point. Here's an explanation of what Jesus was doing. When a strong man armed keepeth his palace, his goods are in peace. Who is that strong man armed? Is that the devil with all of his might and all of his minions and all of his devils? He had a palace. It was a kingdom. It was the headquarters of his kingdom. And guess what? You were in a dungeon there. And thank you for that explanation about your own soul and life's history, brother. We were shackled up there. We were chained in that dungeon and you couldn't deliver yourself. Ephesians chapter 2 tells us that we were dead in trespasses and sins. We were obeying everything He told us to do. But the next verse tells me, But when a stronger than He shall come upon Him and overcome Him, He taketh away from Him all His armor, wherein He trusted and divided His spoils. The stronger man was the Lord Jesus Christ with the power of the kingdom of God He came and went raided the palace of the devil and took us out of it and saved us, brethren. For by grace are ye saved, because he has quickened us from the death that we were in as we were following the devil and the course of this world. Thank you, Lord, for gospel, the gospel kingdom and the power that is in it. Jesus said about this kingdom, the Pharisees confronted him once in Luke chapter 17, and they said, When is your kingdom going to come? You're going around acting like a king. When is your kingdom going to come? They demanded of him. And he said, My kingdom doesn't come with observation. My kingdom is already within you. And he didn't mean within them personally. He meant among them, within the people of that nation. That kingdom was already there. They They demanded of my Lord Jesus Christ, whom I represent. And he mercifully and graciously did not incinerate them on the spot. He waited a few years. Then he wanted to do a little slower than an incineration, and I've preached enough about that. They demanded of him when the kingdom of God was going to come, and he said, it doesn't come the way you're looking for it. You're looking for some stupid kingdom of this world with outward trappings. My kingdom doesn't come with observation like that. It's a spiritual kingdom that is within inside men, and it's already in this nation, and it's among you right now. If you had any eyes that could see, you could turn around and see my kingdom, because there were multitudes following the Lord Jesus Christ, being healed of every manner of disease and every manner of sickness, devils being cast out of them, their sins being forgiven, and their lives changed. That is the kingdom of God. You say, is there more coming? Oh, there's more coming. There's more coming. He'll show those Pharisees and everyone what kind of regal power he really does have. But see, he already showed them in 70 A.D. This is the gospel kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. This kingdom is obviously connected to the other kingdoms because the Savior that we worship is the king of the universal kingdom. This is the kingdom that when the council got together in Acts chapter 15, James stood up after listening to Peter and Paul describing all these Gentile converts. And he quotes from the book of Amos. And James says, here is the explanation for what's happening. God prophesied in the book of Amos that he was going to take Gentiles to build the house and tabernacle of David up again. The kingdom of David had fallen into ruins. Herod the Great was an Edomite. An Edomite appointed by the Roman Empire as king of Judea. They had fallen into ruins, but God was raising up the house of David again, Jesus Christ sitting on the throne, and he was making the new kingdom out of Gentiles. And James understood that in Acts chapter 15, and we believe it. We believe it and we live it and we're part of that kingdom today. So much more could be said. Remember the parable of the householder? They killed the, they killed the son thinking that that would make them heirs of the kingdom. And Jesus said, this kingdom shall be taken from you and given to a nation bringing forth the fruits thereof. And those were the Gentiles. Matthew chapter 22 describes a wedding feast in which 
the king comes in and sees a man without an appropriate garment on. And he says, what are you doing here? And the man was speechless. I'll tell you, I want to tell you a secret. When you meet the Lord Jesus Christ, you're going to be speechless. When I read Matthew 25, the righteous aren't saying, Lord, do you remember when we visited you in prison? They're not going to say anything. Jesus is going to remember that for them. And I'm thankful. I wrote you a harsh proverb this past week about the eyes of the Lord being in every place, that hell and destruction are before him. How much more than the hearts of the children of men? He knows your heart and he knows my heart. But I'm thankful that he remembers every good thing and every bit of integrity of the love I have for him. I'm thankful that I have a Nehemiah in the Bible that says, Lord, look upon me for good and remember me for good. Remember the things that I've done for you. I'm thankful that a King Hezekiah could lay on his deathbed and say, Lord, remember my integrity. Remember my integrity that I have tried to serve thee and the Lord gave him 15 years. But when we stand before him, he'll remember everything good that you've done. And I want to tell you about those good things. He'll have sanctified them by the blood of Jesus Christ. They will, they will truly be good. They'll be truly, you know, sometimes we do good things and we're complaining while we do them. I know I'm the only one that does that, but now you know that you've got a Judas for your pastor. But sometimes we do good things and we're complaining while we do them. But you know what? The Lord Jesus Christ sanctifies those things done in His name. And when I stand before Him, they're going to be made good. He's going to forgive me the fact that I was so selfish while I was doing them. This is the gospel kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it's here now. You go to another church in this city, and they'll tell you that this kingdom is later. Later. They they do not worship a crowned king sitting on his throne. He is on his throne. And he's been there for 2,000 years, and he's about to come. Love him. Oh, all the parables now start to fall into place, I hope. Matthew 13, 44. A man finds a treasure in a field. He goes and sells how much? He sells his favorite hunting rifle. What does he sell? All that he had. That he can buy that field. He, doesn't, he hides it. He doesn't tell anybody because he wants it all from... Doesn't that sound terrible? He wants it all for himself, but so does every child of God. They want to get as much as they can for themselves of the kingdom of heaven. That's Matthew 13, 44 through 46. It tells the story of that goodly pearl of great price. A man sold all that he had. Every one of you, if you are not happy with your life, if you are not content with your life, and I am not selling you a gospel of prosperity, but I want to tell you you'll never be happy until you sell all that you have and give it for the kingdom of heaven. You'll never be happy. Everything else in your life has got to become secondary, and the kingdom of heaven has got to become first. And what is the kingdom of heaven? Being baptized, obeying the gospel, the Lord Jesus Christ, being a part of His church, and keeping His commandments, and loving His saints. That is the kingdom of heaven. And delighting in His Word, especially the New Testament, that is the kingdom of heaven. And until you do that, you're going to be miserable, frustrated, and unhappy. If you're not miserable, frustrated, and unhappy, you're not doing that, it's because you have no part with Him in His kingdom. Because anyone that's been born again wants to be part of that kingdom. When they're, when they're not giving him his service, they are miserable. I'm thankful for your amens. I know that by personal experience, and I know it by your personal experiences when you tell me about them. Then we've got a heavenly kingdom. The heavenly kingdom is obviously what we're all moving toward, and that's when Jesus Christ will put down all rule, reign, and authority. Right now, he's letting them have a little bit of free time, a little bit of space, See, the devil knows. This world doesn't. Or they'd be on their knees right now. They would not be singing, God bless America. They'd be singing, God forgive America. They don't know. The devil knows. You know the Bible tells us he knows? He knows he's only got a little season. And there's a war coming. And that war is not a war of men on horses with swords. It's a spiritual war that's coming. And we're already in the beginnings of it. And that is the world hating Bible-preaching Christians like our church. That is the war. When you read Revelation chapter 20, that the devil is going to be released out of the bottomless pit and go out to deceive the nations again, he's going to gather them up together and encamp around the saints of God, that is not a a flesh and blood war. That is a spiritual war to get rid of faithful followers of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, do you want to be one today or not? There is a price if you live it. Even today there's a price if you live it. All that live godly in Christ Jesus shall suffer persecution. 
We have a kingdom, but there's a greater one coming. A greater demonstration of it. A manifestation of it. Jesus Christ right now is letting some men have rule and some men have authority. But He's going to put all of that down, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, and He'll deliver up the kingdom to God. That's you and me. We're going to all be there in the presence of God, and He is going to put down all rule, reign, and authority, and He will reign forever and ever. And the smell of their torment will come up, and the smoke of their torment will come up like incense into the presence of God in heaven forever and ever. That's the heavenly kingdom. We'll be ushered into it formally before the entire universe, where Jesus Christ, the King, will say to the judge, I died for him. His name is in the book of life. Enter thou into the joy of thy Lord. Don't you doubt that. He knows how weak our frame is. There is no fine line. If you love the Lord Jesus Christ, you will stand before Him and He will accept you. Just don't love yourself. The men that are turned away are those in love with themselves and all the good things they have done. But those that cast themselves upon the Lord Jesus Christ, none of them shall ever be turned away. Him that cometh unto me I will in no wise cast out. That's all coming. The membership in that kingdom is by the book of life. All the verses in the Bible that say, if we commit such and such sins, we do not inherit the kingdom of heaven, is referring to that fact, that kingdom right there. Because you are giving it up by those sins unless God is merciful upon you and forgives you your sins. Because it's the character of those outside that kingdom that's being described. When you read the Bible and you see kingdom of God and you see kingdom of heaven, don't fret. They're the same thing. Schofield says they're different things, but they're not. You can go to Matthew and see that in the same sentence, Jesus Christ calls His kingdom the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God. You can go to Matthew and see that Matthew uses the kingdom of heaven most of the time, but Luke, in writing Luke, uses kingdom of God most of the time. They are synonyms for each other. And the reason they're called the two different words is because of this prophecy. Daniel 2.44, In the days of these kings shall the God of heaven set up a kingdom. Now, if the God of heaven set up a kingdom, it can be called the kingdom of God or the kingdom of heaven because it's the God of heaven that set up the kingdom. It's not two different things. They confuse the Bible so much. Thank you, Lord, for the truth of the Bible. John the Baptist preached that message and men violently entered into that kingdom. Look at Matthew chapter 11. I've got to show you this verse. We've looked at it maybe a time or two before. But I want you to see what it took to get into the kingdom of heaven. In Luke 16.16, it said, Every man presseth. Presseth. There was some effort required to get into the kingdom of heaven. You had to repent of your past way of life and commit to a new way of life. You had to be baptized in front of Jews that were going to persecute you for having left the religion of the Jews. Look at Luke, Matthew chapter 11, excuse me, Matthew 11 and verse 12. And from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven suffereth violence, and the violent take it by force. This is a corresponding passage to that Luke 16 passage. Instead of pressing into it, here is men taking it by force, by violence. Because it takes a violent, forceful upheaval of your life to get into this kingdom. Do you remember Zacchaeus? How did he get into the kingdom? Zacchaeus, rich man. An embezzler, an extortioner. When he popped down out of that sycamore, sycamore tree, the whole crowd murmured against him. He turned to the Lord and he had, a, he had a decision to make, didn't he? He was in the valley of decision. If ever a man was. He said, Lord, I give half my goods to feed the poor and anyone that I've wronged I'll restore fourfold. What did Jesus say immediately? This day is salvation come to this house. For he also is a son of Abraham. I mean, a real son of Abraham. Oh, let me cheat and chase a rabbit that's not even related. It just came to my mind. i got to do it when I got it. John chapter 1. Nathaniel. Do you love Nathaniel? What does the Bible say about him? He was an Israelite indeed. He was a true Jew because he was a man that worshipped God and loved the Lord Jesus Christ. He was sitting under a fig tree one day and Philip came and said, I found the Messiah. Nathaniel follows Philip and goes and meets Jesus. And Jesus said, I saw you when you were sitting under that fig tree. 
He said, thou art the king of Israel. Praise his name. Look at that man. As soon as he saw the Lord Jesus Christ and his power from heaven, he said, thou art the king of Israel. He knew. These men knew. Zacchaeus knew. These harlots knew. They came and came into... came into crowded rooms full of men and fell at the feet of Jesus and kissed his feet because they were kissing a royal personage that had the, that had the scepter in his right hand and he could lift that scepter and forgive them of their sins and they wept and they cried and they kissed his feet begging for mercy. And everyone that came to the Lord Jesus Christ that way, he lifted his scepter and forgave them their sins. That is the Savior that we worship and that is our King. In Acts chapter 17, the Apostle Paul got in trouble in Thessalonica because the accusation made the rounds that they preach another king. You bet they did. But you know, Caesar had no threat from the King Jesus Christ. Not in this world he didn't. Because the best citizens that the Roman Empire ever had were Christians. But in the next world, Caesar's going to have a few problems for claiming to be a God on earth. For claiming to be anything but a servant of the Most High God. What Nebuchadnezzar learned, the Caesars didn't. And they'll answer for it. I love the Apostle Paul when he's writing his letters. He's, he's writing along in the first chapter of 1 Timothy. And he just stops. He says, uh, this is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation. You know the verse. He saved me, the chief of sinners. Now unto the King Eternal. He just, he just starts praising the blessed Lord Jesus Christ, His King. Right. Now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, the only wise God, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, now and forever. Amen. And then he goes on writing his letter. That's the way we ought to write. That's the way we ought to write. Now unto the King eternal. That's a different kind of a king. There's so much more that can be said. Did you know that this king, where do you start? He's your advocate. Do you want a lawyer? You think a lawyer is going to help your problems? There's brothers in here that know that lawyers don't help much, but they sure do take a lot. They want to reach in your pocket every time you get near them. But do you know what? He's our advocate. Does the Bible say that the Lord Jesus Christ, the king, is your advocate? I like the thought of a king being my lawyer. Does the king know the judge? Does the king have power? Is he good with words? He'll give him the tongue of the learned. Go read Isaiah 50. How, How much do you want to think about Jesus Christ being your advocate? He is your king, but he is your advocate. When you stand before God and you will want a lawyer, you will want a lawyer, Jesus Christ will be there to be your lawyer. And he's never failed one time. And he's never going to fail. I will not lose one of them. He is the mediator. Use whatever words you wish. I've got a list of titles here that would take me from now until the middle of March to spend any time on them. He's our apostle. You know, the apostle Paul, we're thankful for him. But the Lord Jesus Christ is the apostle of our profession. Hebrews chapter 3 and verse 1. You want a messenger from heaven? I'll take Jesus Christ. You say, Paul knew quite a bit. Everything Paul knew, Jesus spoon-fed to him. He's the desire of all nations. And I'm thankful for that title. Because we're one of those nations. He's the second Adam. He undid what our first dad did. And we could go on and on. He's, the, he's our stone for our lives. He's our life. He's our Lord. He's our truth. He's the way. Our counselor, our deliverer. And on and on we could go. Our redeemer is the Lord Jesus Christ. What should, this, what should it do to your lives? When you think about the Lord Jesus Christ as king, it ought to affect our lives. I wish every one of you were saying, I agree. I'd like to be baptized again to tell him one more time 
that He is my King and my Lord. He accepts the first one, brethren. He accepts the first one. You say, but I know so much more now than I did then. He knew that. He said to His apostles, go teach, baptize, and then teach them to observe all things whatsoever I have commanded you. He knew that most people being baptized would be ignorant, but that the rest of their lives would be spent learning. He accepts the first one if we'll live consistent with it now. Are you living for the Lord Jesus Christ? Is your mouth governed by a king who knows every thought of your mouth, every word that's, every, every thought of your heart, every word that's in your tongue, and every action of your feet? Do you think about a king knowing all that and that you'll stand before him and give an account of your lives? Regardless of what the future holds, brethren, why should you be afraid of anything? We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And that is speaking of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are more than conquerors through Him that loved us. And that's when he goes on to say in the very next verse, For I am persuaded that neither life nor death nor all that long list of things can separate us from the love of God. Because our King, our our Advocate, the Lord Jesus Christ, will not allow it. He ever liveth to make intercession for us. What are you afraid of? Are you afraid of the dark? He rules the dark. Are you afraid of some enemy? Are you afraid of war? Are you afraid of pestilence? Every, every one of our newspapers and every news source on the internet wants to make you afraid all the time. You don't have to be afraid of anything. The Lord is going to protect us. That doesn't mean that we're foolish. But I'll tell you one thing. We certainly aren't fearful running about worrying about all the unseen dangers of those fear mongers. The Lord Jesus Christ destroys, has destroyed all those enemies and He will destroy them. Brethren, what a king you have. This king tells his enemies, I never knew you. Depart from me, ye that work iniquity. Those words are so horrible... I cannot receive them except to know that they're true. But that same king says to his friends, I'll never leave thee nor forsake thee. That's a big difference. And you know what? It's a thee and a thee. That's a singular pronoun for you. I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. That is a close relationship to a king. I've never been that close to anyone. They all leave in comparison to Jesus Christ. But he'll never leave. This king tells his enemies, how can ye escape the damnation of hell? He tells his friends, come unto me. I'll give you rest. Learn of me. I'm meek and lowly. My yoke is easy. My burden is light. What a difference. This is your king. Jonathan got up and read to us Hebrews chapter 12. One sentence. Did, it have, did that list mean anything to you? Did you like that one sentence at all? In preparing to read that, did you like that one sentence? Did it have a list of a few bennies? Was it better than copay on your medical insurance policy? But ye are come unto Mount Zion, unto the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, an innumerable company of angels, the spirits of just men made perfect, and the blood of sprinkling that speaketh better things than that of Abel. And do you know whose blood that is? The Lord Jesus Christ. There's an altar in heaven. The blood's already been offered. The blood has already been accepted. And we are absolutely, certainly, and finally, and totally saved because of that blood. We have a kingdom. We have a Mount Zion. We have a citadel in heaven that can never be overthrown by any force in this universe, and you're going to spend eternity in it, and it's called Mount Zion. All of our brothers are already there in front of us, the spirits of just men made perfect. No more sinning up there, brother. They're all waiting for you to get there and join them, because as soon as the last one gets there, guess what? The gates are closed, and the Lord Jesus Christ puts down all rule, reign, and authority, and we will live and reign with Him forever. That's what's coming. This king assigns you his personal bodyguards. The angel of the Lord. Who is the Lord? Who is this king of glory? Lift up your heads, O ye gates. Who is this king of glory? Do you know him this morning? It's the Lord Jesus Christ. Do you know what he says about his angels? They were created to be your servants. 
Psalm 34 and verse 7 says, The angel of the Lord, that's the angel sent from the Lord Jesus Christ, encampeth round about them that fear Him, and delivereth them. You have angels that you can't see. They're in this room right now, and they will deliver you, and they will see you safely into the presence of Jesus Christ because they are under orders. Do not lose one of them. And I can't wait for that chariot ride. And let's all encourage each other for that chariot ride because we're racing toward that chariot ride when those angels will deliver us safely. And it's called in Second Peter chapter 1, an abundant entrance into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. They're your bodyguards sent by the high King of Heaven. I'm out of time. Brethren, the Bible describes a pavilion where my King hides me. Whenever I'm scared, I can go hide in his pavilion. That's that great big tent in the center of the army where the king is. And around it are the finest troops. David had his Gittites. The Lord has his angels. And in that pavilion, he hides my soul. And I get to commune with him, and I know that he is mine, and I know that he will protect me and take care of me, and he will protect and take care of you. Have you submitted to this king? In Malachi chapter 1 and verse 14, that prophet said, Cursed be the deceiver that makes a vow to me and then looks into his flock and gives me the lame, for I am a great king. Have you given him less than your best? Humble yourselves and repent this very day and give him your best. Your best in your home. Your best in your thoughts. Your best in singing in this assembly. Your best on the job. You know what it says in Colossians chapter 3 and verse 24? That when you work hard on the job, you're serving the Lord Christ. The only time in the Bible we have that combination of those two words, just like that. You are serving the King Jesus when you are working hard on your job. Are you giving Him your best? No wonder that friendship with the world is the enmity with God because we are betraying the High King of Heaven. Understandable that he would call it such a heinous offense. If you catch the vision today of the Lord Jesus Christ, you know, there was a man who did catch it in Isaiah chapter 6. Isaiah said, I had a vision. In the days of King Isaiah, I saw the Lord high and lifted up, sitting on his throne, and his train filled the temple. And the cherubim were there with their eyes covered and their feet covered saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty. And God said, Whom will I send? And who will go for us? Isaiah had a pretty quick response. I will. I've tried to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ today. He calls for you to live a separated life of obedience to His Bible and putting Him first in your life. This is no light document. This is the terms of his kingdom. Come to terms with the Lord Jesus Christ or die. All those who have been born again by the power of the Spirit of God, may you humble yourselves and your souls this day and swear renewed allegiance to Jesus Christ. And let's go out of this place and live for him. Let's praise him in our hearts. Let's praise him with our lips. Let's be thankful for all that he's done for us. Let's go home and turn on Handel's Messiah And take it to the hallelujah chorus. For the Lord God omnipotent reigneth. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Forever and ever and ever. Hallelujah. May Jesus Christ be praised.